It's quite incredible that you can still get a sense of deja vu during unprecedented times. And I'm talking, of course, of the cancellation of the GCSE and the A-level exams in the summer of 2021. The decision has divided people into broadly two camps. Those who think that exams should have gone ahead because they're the fairest way to grade students. And then those who have had a long-held view that exams should have been cancelled because of the significant disruption that students have faced. Whichever side you come down on, a fairly crucial question remains. What does this mean for students' courses and their final grades? Hello, and welcome to the Study Sessions podcast. I'm Nathan, founder of The Study Buddy and your host. In this, our second season of the podcast, we're following six students as they head towards their GCSEs in 2021, or at least what was intended to be their 2021 exams. Each week, I catch up with these very different teams to see how things are going in a one-to-one coaching session. Then, with a panel of experts in our weekly podcast, we discuss some of the issues that come up. They could be broad themes, such as motivation or managing mental health, or they could be quite focused, such as how best to revise for a specific subject. Now, these are normal teens, so you can be sure that we'll be covering topics that young people up and down the country will face. So, if you're a parent, a carer, or a teacher, be sure to subscribe. This week, we're looking at the impact that the exam cancellations have had and, importantly, what it means for students who were due to take their exams in 2021. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by Zoe Enso. Having spent more than 20 years in teacher roles, including as Head of English, Zoe is currently a specialist English advisor with The Education People. As well as writing many pieces for education publications, including the Times Educational Supplement, and actively blogging, Zoe has also co-authored Generative Learning in Action, which looks at the activities students can do to learn. Zoe, thank you so much for joining me. It's fair to say that our students, like many, weren't especially surprised by the announcement that exams were going to be cancelled. Some had seen this coming for a while, while others saw it as inevitable when, by the end of the year, we started looking at a third lockdown. However, the announcement doesn't bring any real relief for them. What now is the question that most are asking. They know that their teachers will be making assessments, but they're not sure if there's any point studying from this moment on. The government were, of course, adamant that exams weren't going to be cancelled. So why is it, do you think, that they were so reluctant? I think the reluctance does come from the fact that there's an awful lot of work that does go into exams to make sure they are fair. And as you mentioned, that you know fairness is a key factor there. And that's what we want. We want a way in which we can really see that level playing field and people have an opportunity to really demonstrate what they can do. And over the years, certainly over the years where I've been teaching, I've seen a number of different methods in relation to that. I've seen the years where there was coursework and there was a real emphasis on that. And that was certainly when I came through my own GCSEs. It was all focused on coursework and and my English literature GCSE was entirely 100% coursework. I've also seen modular approaches with modular exams, including in English, something which we think of more perhaps in maths and science, but there were periods of time where you could do modular exams in English throughout the course. And I've also seen controlled assessments and everything sort of in between that. And 
they have obviously you know been looking at how they can make sure that this is the fairest system for students and once you have got what they see as a strong system they don't necessarily want to take that away however you know absolutely it would have been good to have had a little bit more warning about that but we are living to borrow a phrase that's much used these days in really unprecedented times you can see i guess from a policy point of view regardless of whether or not you think exams over a mixed economy is the right thing. And we've had actually a few guest speakers at the beginning of this academic year who were talking about that. You can see from a policy point of view, that is the government's policy. We do do exams and we'll stick to it. And that makes sense from a, a political positioning. But when we ended the year, the last academic year, with the cancellations, you'd have to wonder, wouldn't you, whether or not you'd start planning ahead for the possibility, if not probability, that you're likely to be in the same situation again with this 2021 set, which I think is then why it will have come as such a big surprise to so many that it's almost like a shock announcement of something that actually fundamentally doesn't seem particularly shocking. Yeah, definitely. And I would certainly say that bodies like Ofqual and the exam boards, they would have been working in the background in order to develop a contingency. So it isn't a case of, you know, everything's been completely sort of having to be thought up over this week or, or this next week or two. There will be things that they've learned from last year. And schools themselves, and when I've been talking to them, we've talked about mock exams. And some students will have sat mock exams, some students wouldn't have had that opportunity yet but schools have been very aware that there is this possibility there might be that potential and so they've been thinking about the assessment processes that they've been using including those mocks when they come to think about what the future might hold and things like rank ordering which they were asked to do last year again has been a feature of some of the discussions that I've had with schools to really start them thinking about that and they will have been gathering data about what the students have been doing the learning that's been taking place in addition to what they've kind of gathered to make sure that the learning is meaningful as well. Because there are two aspects aren't there to that that you've got the need to have this grade because your next step whether that's a GCSE student going on to do A-level levels or further education or an A-level student who's going on to a degree or perhaps employment, that they need that number or that letter so that they can secure their place to go on. But the other side of that is that the course is still being run. They had disruption at the end of last year, so they couldn't possibly have covered all of this content in this much time. And it must be really tricky, mustn't it, for teachers to motivate their students to sort of pick themselves up and say, no, 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 I am going to Put my head down and I am going to get on with this. It is difficult. Um, you know, although the grade is important, although the grade is an indicator for next steps and it is a way that we kind of categorise things as a society, there is that whole other side that we really mustn't forget and we really must focus on. And that is the content of the course itself. You know, these courses have been put together in order for people to learn meaningful things. That's ideally what they should be about. And the exam at the end examines aspects of that it doesn't even necessarily depending on the subject cover everything you will have learned what it's looking at is how you use that information and you use that learning in order to solve different problems so if we were to take the English example we learn a lot about a text say Macbeth 
but we don't know what that question will be. So it will be how that learning about that text and learning about the world of Shakespeare and learning about how that relates to other texts and the big questions and the issues in our world. And then they relate it to the question. And I think that's what's really significant when things like this happen is to focus in on what that learning is for. And that learning isn't simply for on the day of the exam to show that you have learned this thing and can replicate it there. It's about the fact that you've got that information. You know, I often joke with my students that, you know, one day they're going to curse me as they sit around a dinner table in their 40s and they'll suddenly remember something from the English lesson. And it won't be necessarily an episode. It won't be the fact that Miss fell over, which, you know, could also pop up at different times. It will be, the you know, that, that sudden memory about a poem or it will be a, a memory about something that they wrote or a discussion that they had. And that's what we mean really about that kind of deeper learning. It shouldn't be superficial. It shouldn't just be about that grade on the day. It's got to be that longer term process and then what you do with that later. And it's really hard to actually decide what you will need in later life. You know, careers do change. People do change. I certainly wouldn't have been able to have anticipated that I really needed to have a really good grounding in mathematics because I'd be using various Excel spreadsheets and things like that. So we do use these things which we might not necessarily recognise way beyond the exam. And so I really would urge people to think about the learning, think about the course as a whole and the fact that it doesn't all finish on whatever day the exam is sat or the assessment grade goes in. It's more than that. And it should mean more than that. Isn't it difficult to have separated that in the past, though, because the end of your course and the end of the course exams, which are the GCSEs or the A-levels, are just synonymous. I mean, they, they are just the same thing because of the timing, I guess. I mean, had GCSE terminal exams, if you like, happened at Christmas normally, then we might find other ways in which we could keep students engaged in an ongoing learning. Because as you say, you're not at school simply to find out about the Treaty of Versailles or whatever else it might be. The exam is the indication of how much you've learned and how well you've learned and what it is that you're learning. Absolutely. You know, I've had students I've had to urge away from the fact that they think that they're going to burn their books on the last day of the literature exam and they never want to think about them again. I say kind of put them to one side or rehome them would be ideal if you really don't want them. But that's the point, isn't it? You kind of come to that focus and looked at that focus. But the journey continues. And certainly, you know, I see myself as a lifelong learner and, and I'm not alone in that. And it doesn't just have to be about that formal learning. It's about, you know, what you're going to be using in different aspects of whatever job you're doing or when you've got children later in your life and the engagement that you're going to have with them or the conversation that you're going to have when you bump into somebody at a party. All of this knowledge makes us, you know, in part who we are and how we then use that knowledge makes us who we are. And, you know, certainly I'm someone who, you know, I'm I'm on my second MA that I've signed up for in a couple of years because I want to learn more and that's really important for me but in all aspects of our life we do do that and we do need that and I've seen geography departments for example and on seeing that this you know that they're not going to have that exam and that end point they're working with students on the non-examined assessment part in a reduced way, those students aren't necessarily going to want to go on to do A-level and they're not necessarily going to pursue geography at A-level. But the skills, the process and the knowledge that goes into that might fit into something else. So even though they've not got that endpoint of the exam, they've thought, well, what can we bring in 
that's going to benefit them in lots of other ways. And so that's something I think we should all be thinking about. And students themselves, and, and when you're in dialogue with teachers, for example, explore, you know, well, how could we use things like the speaking and listening assessment, which has been taken away from English? We know speaking skills and communication skills are important. So how can I perhaps or how can we perhaps work on that if that's something that we value? And I think that's the question, really, isn't it? What do we value? Do we value that endpoint? Do we value that grade or do we value the learning? It is really difficult and really interesting, actually, to hear you talk about the subject knowledge and how that can relate to others, because there is a temptation. And I think we can empathise so easily with the students thinking, well, actually, if I'm not doing the exams, what's the point? Down tools. And I might just enjoy the rest of my year until I end up doing the next thing. Or even a temptation for students, parents, or maybe even teachers to look at teaching them something that's off curriculum if there's no longer this terminal exam. But actually the idea that what you're learning in geography can help you in life, not just because you're going to go on to go do a geography A-level, but it opens your mind to a different way of thinking or looking at something from a slightly different perspective. And that surely is what the curriculum is actually about, isn't it? Definitely. And we've worked really hard, particularly over the last few years, in developing curriculums which reflect that we are asked to develop things like curriculum intent and so we say well what is our English curriculum for our English curriculum for you know in terms of literature might be to explore a range of texts and look at how they relate to everyday situations concerns and anxieties we might have and how other writers across the world and throughout history have looked at that and that might be our intent as you say with geography it's about kind of opening people's minds to the world around them and having that understanding similarly with science you know we're not talking about whether you can you know do that equation or complete that diagram in the exam we say well do you understand that process and understanding that process is what's the important thing as opposed to necessarily just that kind of final point and that grade and the curriculum if it has been well put together and as I say people have worked really really hard on doing that then it's going to have a value that goes way beyond that. The learning that happens now as a student you sort of take on can amplify and then contribute towards the next step of your learning it's incremental and it has a profound impact actually in the ways in which you are able to retain information and and make those links definitely and not all subjects are hierarchical so it's not necessarily like with maths where one step leads to another but what we have is we have schemas we have ways of these kind of models in our minds ways of thinking about subjects and they're being built all the time. So every time we learn something new, we will think, well, how does that relate to our current learning? How does that relate to what I know now? And then we readjust our thinking based on that new information. So the more information we gather and the more we kind of reorganise and reorder and think about it in different ways and strip away things that actually we say, well, that doesn't relate quite to that as we would like it to then we are in a much better position to explore those big ideas around us and think about those interactions that we're having. Think about my schema in terms of education. You know, and I've been building this, it was actually 1997 when I kind of first went into school working in the kind of learning support department there. And I've got years and years and years of that. But every time I read something new about it or encounter something new in my classroom or in somebody else's classroom, I am reconsidering, reevaluating and assimilating that knowledge in order to expand my thinking. So literally, the, you know, the more you knowledge you've got and the, the more you think about it, the more you can think. And so we can't really say 
that knowledge won't be useful and this knowledge will be useful. All knowledge is going to have its uses and we're constantly organising and reorganising that in our minds and in our schemas. And this relates back, having read it in your book, this idea of the cognitive model and the ideas around memory and long-term memory, does it? Yeah, definitely. Our long-term memory is largely infinite. There's no kind of limit necessarily to what we can hold. We can use kind of analogies to things like hard drives on the computer, but they're kind of limited. Our long-term memory, we can store an awful lot of information in there. And I often do a little activity when I'm working with staff and talking about this. And I ask them to either recall their postcode or their telephone number from when they were a child. And the majority of people will be able to recall that, even though they haven't thought about it for a long time. It's stored there. You know, it's something that is in our memories, even though we might think we're never going to need that. We're going to move on. We're not going to be looking at that again. Our working memory is much more limited. And our working memory is where we are kind of constantly taking information. So at the moment I'm sitting there and I can see you. And so there's information coming in through computer screen. There's bits and pieces in my house that might sort of distract me. And my working memory will be being used. And then I'm kind of also thinking about the topic that we're discussing so that's taking up space in my working memory there and I'm drawing on things in my long-term memory in order to support that we want things to go into our long-term memory because if we've got them there it makes it much much easier and we want to practice drawing those out so that kind of infinite space in our minds and I'm sure the learning scientists might say something about perhaps that language it's seemingly infinite amount of space that we've got in our long-term memories we want to use that and we want to create this real dynamic between our working memory where we need to draw things out and explore them and discuss them and then back into our long-term memory. That's what we want to achieve with deeper learning, really. I love the idea that learning promotes more learning. So the more you learn, the more you can learn and the better those connections are. And I think going back to what we were just, obviously what we started talking about with the cancellation of exams and what could potentially be a long period of time without any study, it seems to make it even more important that students are encouraged or take it upon themselves to carry on learning because actually now is not the time to drift off, not keep exercising your brain and, and learning stuff because presumably if they were in that position and they weren't being active with their learning and carrying on with studies that when they came to do their next step actually it's going to be that much harder isn't it? it is and in terms of our kind of our fluency that's where the difficulties will reside it's not that things will have been forgotten when they're in our long-term memory it seems to be they're there but what we get really rusty on is bringing things out of that long-term memory and into our working memory so we can use it and we can explore it so what we want to do is keep that practice going so when teachers will set quizzes on something you've learned last week or last month or last year that's what they're doing they're encouraging that retrieval and they're encouraging that fluency and if that starts to get rusty so we're, you know going back to my example of saying to people you know can you remember your childhood postcode or can you remember your telephone number from when you were sort of 10 or something it can be hard at first because they've got rusty in that retrieval. Once they practice that a few times, it gets easier. So it's that constant kind of retrieval, that practice and refreshing that learning. And then you will be able to attach new learning to it as well. And as you say, you know, it grows, it continues. Learning brings learning. The other thing is the more you learn and the more you know, you're more aware of where your gaps are. Now, that sounds like a negative thing, but actually that isn't. The more expertise you get in a particular area, the more you're aware, oh, I'm not quite sure on that. So what I'm going to do is 
I'm going to research it. I'm going to find out. I'm going to ask a question about it. And if we're asking questions about our learning and trying to fill our own gaps, then that's going to be even more powerful. That's what we you know we, we really want everybody to be able to do to say, you know, this is what I know. This is what I need to know more about. Source it, seek it, explore it, discuss it and then keep building and expanding their knowledge because you just don't know where it will take you. So that's a much more active role in their own education and learning than we might get if they were in a classroom's context. So is there actually an opportunity while we're in lockdown as well and, and remote learning is happening? for students to be much more self-directed, do you think? Definitely. One of the things that the EF's review of remote learning came up with quite quickly was this is an opportunity for independent learning and that should be encouraged. And using things like self-testing, using little quizzes in order to see, well, what do I know? What am I confident with? Is going to enable you to be much more independent. There are all sorts of different things that you can do in terms of checking your own knowledge. You can do mind mapping or kind of concept mapping is perhaps a more accurate term. And you can use kind of concept maps. You can use summaries in order to check what your understanding is. And then that should highlight for students what they need to know a little bit more on or what they need to go back over. And having control over your own learning has got to be something that feels powerful. You know, uh, and one of the things I do hear sometimes from students is that they don't feel they necessarily have as much control over their own learning as they would like when they are following the patterns for the exam or the syllabus or the scheme. But here is, as you say, an opportunity to perhaps for them to look back at prior learning, think how it will link to the current things, explore in a different direction, do a bit of research. As long as they're kind of bringing that back and reflecting on that, then that can never be a bad thing. So in previous episodes, we've talked quite a lot about retrieval practice, which has been really interesting. But there's an aspect of it that always seemed to be a bit missing for me, which was how you put something into your head in the first place, how that learning bit takes place in order for you to retrieve it. Because as you said, from outset, we're bombarded by bits of information, sensory overload, if we were to take everything in. But we don't, we're selective about what it is that we put into our working memory and then encode to go into our long-term memory. What are some of the ways in which students can do this for themselves that encoding piece the first thing is to have things broken down in small steps I mentioned the fact that you know I've signed up for another MA and one of the reasons behind that is self-directed learning is fantastic but I'm not very disciplined in terms of that and I might read lots of books but then it'll be quite transient as you say it goes in it is in my memory somewhere I might use it later but I'm not really focused on that. And so I would have things really broken down into small steps. And that's where, you know, continuing to follow the course can be really useful because that automatically does do that for you. It breaks it into lessons, it breaks it into topics and enables you to do that, even if you want to go off in different directions. In terms of encoding, the idea of dual coding, and I don't know if you've seen the kind of work of Oliver Kilviglioli, he talks a lot about that. We do take in that information in a sensory way. And so coupling images with the audio or coupling the images with the kind of the written text, that can be really powerful. What I would suggest that students did was that they focused in on generative activities. So you've got information that's broken into small steps. 
that can be a video, that can be a piece of text that you're reading, it can be a PowerPoint that's been provided for you. But in order to make that sure that that learning is really, really meaningful, then following some steps like concept mapping. So looking at that information, reflecting on that information and then building a concept map about what is there because then you've got that both to come back to but the process of building the map in itself will help you to encode it will help that to stay there the same can be said for summarizing you can also do activities like drawing so if you were again to come back to the text idea so you read something from a piece of text and then you draw images to represent that now these don't have to be great works of art and in fact that can be a distraction and if you know you are somebody who if it's not a perfect representation of what is in your head you are not going to be happy I would probably suggest that you didn't go down that route with drawing but quick images that represent something from your learning again will help to support your memory what we really want to do is we want you to be selecting information from what you're being given from that text from that video or whatever source it comes from so you need to select the appropriate information the most important information from there then you need to organize it in some way either through a concept map or through a summary or a drawing and then you need to really think about how you might use that later and come back to that later so that you are assimilating it into your longer term memory and into that schema that you're building around it so doing something active is really important what you can't do in order to make sure things go in is be a little bit passive. So just reading over the same text again, there's no guarantee that that is going to go in. Talking to somebody about that text is another simple way or explaining to yourself what was in that text again is a simple way. So I'm looking at something at the moment by Julia Kristeva, who is a psychoanalyst, and it's incredibly complex and has been translated from French just to add to a, another complexity to it. And I can look at the words on that page a 100 times and they won't make sense to me necessarily. But if I look at a small section of that text and then I turn to my long suffering husband and say, can I just explain this to you? And then I talk through what I've just learned, then I will retain that information. It starts to be reorganized. Ideally, if he's if he's in the mood, he'll question me about it or I'll ask myself some questions about it. And then it starts to get strengthened. You know, as I question, as I think, as I explore that information, then it really does become embedded. And then I can build on and I can put that next step in and I can keep that process going again and again. So lots and lots of ways that you can do it, you know, self-explaining, teaching someone else, you know, as I say, my poor husband has to put up with, but drawing, mapping, all of those things will be useful for that. Actually, it's interesting that you ask your husband, my wife would certainly tell me, this is what I'm going to do now and you'll do it. <laughs> but interestingly, you talk to him about it, can I summarise this for you? Because I'm presuming, having seen that he co-authored a book with you, that he He's also a teacher. He's not got an expertise in psychoanalysis. And so you're not asking him to check your homework, so to speak, to your, your summary, just that you want to go through that process of summarising for yourself. Absolutely. And for me, verbalising is what matters. I can go through that self-explaining process and do it in my head, but it becomes even more significant to me if I can verbalise it and vocalise it. And even better if he will play along and ask me some questions about it and say, I didn't quite understand that point. Can you explain that a little bit more? I will say, did that bit make sense? Or what about if I add this? So it does become a dialogue. So if you are working uh, with somebody who hasn't studied that course, yeah. so if you're working with a parent or that kind of approach, then just having that opportunity to talk things through with perhaps some questions 
will make a difference. For some people, there are some that are going to find summarising a stronger approach for them. But even when I'm doing that, when I am talking it through, I am summarising as well. I'm just doing it verbally. Looking at the ways in which as parents we can be constructively supportive of students when they're going through, well, either in the lead up to the exams in any other year or to help them with their learning as a more general point that actually we don't need to have sat that GCSE before they're doing it in order to be useful actually just being there and asking a question being receptive to spending a bit of time to listen to them explaining something that they're reading about actually is a a really powerful thing that does add value yeah absolutely it does and I know it's difficult sometimes with teenagers they don't necessarily want their parent to be asking them questions it doesn't have to be kind of this round of questions about the work that they're doing but having that opportunity to say I noticed that you're reading this text tell me a little bit about it I've never come across it that would be something that students would benefit from because that dialogue starts and it will give them the opportunity to reflect on the learning that they've done so far and perhaps start questioning themselves even if you're not asking the questions they might suddenly start going well hang on I was explaining that and now I've got a bit of a gap let me just go back and check and so all of a sudden the learning becomes much more dynamic doesn't it absolutely I think there's something holy grail like in that the idea that the child might start explaining something and say actually I'm not sure about that I'll have to go away and check I think I can feel myself bursting with pride and it's not actually happening to me. Sort of imagining (laughs) being in that context. (laughs) That is what it's about, isn't it? The learning is not just for, we said this obviously a moment ago, but learning is not just for that number. It is actually about wanting to grow in knowledge and awareness and all those kinds of things. Absolutely. And I wouldn't put, you know, a text like Lord of the Flies or an Inspector Calls, I wouldn't put it on the syllabus if I didn't think that there was a value there to exploring it. And that kind of curiosity that comes from studying it is really what I want to encourage my students. I want them to ask questions of the author of the text. I want them to question themselves about their own learning. I want them to think about if they were in that position, you know, obviously quite horrible with Lord of the Flies, but if they were in that position, how they might respond, how they would respond differently in a modern context as opposed to that historical context. Have we got any other examples where that kind of thing is happening? It is opening up their worlds really to this curiosity, wanting to know more about it, either within the text or beyond. And do you think, to go back to the point that we opened on, do you think that all of that learning is adequately captured? in these terminal exams. I guess if the question were in Lord of the Flies, explain how you might feel on an island with a dozen others. Unless something like that comes up, actually a lot of what you're talking about there wouldn't necessarily come up in an hour and a half exam. Absolutely. And they can't, you know, it's weeks and weeks as it is, but it'd be going on for months and months in order to be able to do that. And the exams are very much designed to capture aspects of the course. And what they aim to do is they aim to draw from across the course so that knowledge from different areas will be synthesised and explored in doing so. But there always will be gaps. I know that students have walked out of a history exam or a maths exam and come to me and gone, the topic we covered last week wasn't on there and and you can sense this real frustration that it wasn't on there but it wouldn't be realistic and and if they were just assessing absolutely everything and bearing in mind you know we talk a lot in terms of these being two-year courses if these are designed really well this is going way back for five years that they're looking at learning for your key stage three or what you did in year seven and what you did in year six and, and, and you know all the way back it's building up this learning 
And so when they go into a language exam, it's looking at how well they can read a text that they've never come across before. Well, well, that is examining certain skills and knowledge and understanding. It can't just reflect what you did in the year before or the two years before. It's reflecting, hopefully, more but also will be reflecting less, if that makes sense, because it can't cover it. No, you may have covered a topic on Egyptians in your year seven that will never come up because it's actually just not part of the syllabus. But otherwise, there are still aspects of investigation, of thinking, of tying two seemingly disparate facts together, all of these kinds of things that that do build and build and build to hopefully then result in, in a great grade at the end of that schooling period. Absolutely. So it's like a jigsaw puzzle, really. You know, you're building up this bigger picture. But, but the difference is this jigsaw puzzle hasn't got any edges. It can just keep growing and growing and growing. And that's what we're doing. So to take your example, you know, you've done Egyptians when you're in year six or, or year seven. But there will be aspects of that and understanding of what perhaps predates the world that you are looking at in the exam, which is really important for you to understand. And although it won't be drawing directly on, well, you know, what was the name of the pharaoh when, you know, and and looking at that, it is building up that picture. It's building up that jigsaw puzzle. And we can just keep building and building and building on that all the time. So now that we are in a position where there is, I was just about to say, there won't be exams, but I'm not sure that I want to be that confident. No. (laughs) There won't be formal exams in the way that they were intended to be run. There may well be assessments, whether they're running classes. There must surely be some kind of moderation. I'm not going to suggest that teachers would run away and just give everyone an an eight or a nine because actually that underplays the seriousness of the profession and actually what teaching is about. But we did hear from Adam Boxer previously that if he had a student and he thought, well, we get a six, we could get a seven, then of course you're going to err on the side of optimism, if you like, that on a good day they'd get a seven, I predict, and a seven. So what are the kinds of things now that do you think that students should be doing practically to help ensure that the teacher-assessed grades in whatever form that is, and I say that because I just don't think we know yet, do we, to sort of ensure the best possible position for themselves? Obviously, teachers are setting work at the moment. There there are most places where work is continuing. So I would keep working with your teachers and keep following the course and not think that this is it, you know, I'm done now, I don't need to do anything more. Also reflect on your prior learning and think about those areas where you could perhaps strengthen it, where you could explore something in a little bit more depth or, or go back over some of that previous knowledge and information but ultimately you want to be able whatever form this comes in you want to be able to show that you have got that deeper learning and you've got that knowledge and you can do those things so I would continue to practice I would continue to you know use exam questions as a way that you can do that or past exam papers as a way you can do that follow the kind of advice from your teachers continue to to really think about not just you know, what you want to prove in terms of that, but to make sure that that learning really sticks with you and stays with you and can keep expanding. Because there's a dual benefit, isn't there, to that, that if as a parent or a teacher, you can encourage the students to keep working because there is still an opportunity for them to improve their grades. Some people are mistakenly thinking that 
a mock they may have done in November is the Grey Velvet. That isn't the case. There is still time for them to show off and demonstrate the grade that they could have got. So on the one hand, if that's what they're working to, underneath that, they've still got this continuation of learning and all the benefits that that brings with it, which you've talked about. Absolutely. And I think that going back and saying, well, what could I improve on? What could I take further is going to be really important. There will be opportunities, as you say, to prove themselves they will be able to show certain pieces of work and there may well be you know some kind of formal assessments which take place in the future just in a slightly different way so you will have those opportunities so by going back in order to build and then move forward that's always going to be much more powerful and certainly don't think you know whatever you achieved on a mock back in November or December defines you in any way at this moment you've still got lots of you know still lots and lots of opportunity to redefine that and just keep on building really it's like a no regrets activity, I guess, because if you improve as you go forward, then it's a demonstration that actually you are getting better and you are strengthening. And so your predicted grade can increase. But if you do slightly worse or not as well, maybe as a, a nicer way to put it, than you did in the mock, then you could look at it and say, well, actually, you're just having an off day. So it seems like it's a more positive spin on it for the students. Definitely. And we all have off days. You know, we all have moments where, when, you know, particularly when there are various pressures from outside and situations that we're dealing with. Of course, it's likely that people might have an off day and that can happen at any point. But it is that bigger picture. It is the intrinsic value, knowing that it won't be a one off, that there won't just be one session where your teachers will go, well, I've seen that they weren't working very well that day, so it's all lost. You will continue to have that opportunity and those dialogues with your teachers as well and with students. So keeping that going and thinking about what needs to be developed is always going to be positive. Zoe, thank you so much for sharing your insights and your advice with us today. I've said it before, and I suspect I'll say it again, these are unsettling times. Teens are facing a host of uncertainties. How will grading and teacher assessments work? Will there be a lingering stigma around these COVID years? And even the decisions that have been made, such as exams being cancelled, have led to more questions. Will the grades be externally moderated? And so on. And none of that mentions the ever-present risk of a U-turn here and there. Our first concern is, and absolutely should be, the well-being of these young people. No one wants to pile on more pressure. And that pressure might be even more unwelcome, given the lack of motivation that many will be suffering. If I haven't got an exam, what's the point of still studying? But, as we heard from Zoe, maintaining that studying is as important now as it was before, if not perhaps even more so. There's absolutely no suggestion that teachers will only be assessing grades on work that's already been completed or the pre-Christmas mocks. There's still a substantial amount of teaching time left, even if that's now remote. And that means the work done now, whether it's homework or assessments, all have the potential to contribute towards the evidence of that future final grade. And who's to say that a student that's clearly demonstrating an improved work ethic wouldn't be able to help tip the balance, in a teacher's mind, of what they might be capable of in an exam. As we heard before from Adam Boxer, it would be only natural for a teacher to err on the side of optimism if a student were on the grade boundary between a 5 and a 6, for example. 
And the dual benefit of working now is that learning leads to more learning. Over the last few episodes, I've loved finding out about retrieval practice and the role that low-stakes testing has on improving memory. And in this episode, Zoe has really helped us to fill in some of those gaps around how we learn in the first place. Her book, Generative Learning in Action, is aimed at educators rather than parents, but it's nevertheless a really interesting read. In it, Zoe and her co-author husband Mark cover the eight activities that promote learning, and Zoe touched on some of those a moment ago, like summarising and drawing. What I find especially encouraging is that we, as parents, don't need to be expert in their subjects to be supportive. Simply encouraging our children to summarise what they've done in a lesson can help to cement that knowledge and learning. And, if we're not afraid to ask the stupid questions, as I tend to, probing a little bit can help highlight gaps and even encourage a bit of self-directed learning amongst our young people. Now, some parents out there will be thinking that this is a completely idealised situation. And, to be fair, I accept that it wouldn't have come naturally to Jake when he was doing his studying. In fact, if I'd have had a grunt of acknowledgement that I'd even asked a question, I'd have probably taken that as success. But during these lockdown lessons and remote learning, asking about what's literally just happened might lead to some interaction especially if the question is directed specifically to the subject, rather than a, so what have you learned today, approach. Of course, many of us are also trying to juggle our day jobs, and spare moments are as scarce now as they've ever been. But it's important to remember that this approach doesn't have to be in a formal event. Perhaps it's as simple as seemingly an off-the-cuff inquiry, maybe while you're making a sandwich for lunch. Alternatively, and I really like this idea, why not be clear about what you've found out in this and previous episodes with your team? We heard recently from Patrice Bain how talking about the strategy in high-level terms can help young people to get on board and feel like they're really taking responsibility. These are unsettling times, have I already mentioned that? And your team won't want to do badly. They might just not know how to go about showing off their potential and you might be surprised at how open they are to having a grown-up conversation about things to try. I'd argue we've lost sight of what exams are about. Surely they are an evidence of what students' attainment and ability is. They're not, in and of themselves, the whole point of studying. And helping your young person to see beyond the final exam, or lack of final exam in, in this case, that's a vital step to helping them focus on what's important and to do their best now and in the future. Thank you for listening. I hope that this episode has given you plenty of food for thought and perhaps a bit of a spur on to help your team keep going. If it has been useful, would you mind taking a moment to leave a five-star rating and perhaps a review too? It really does help us to reach other parents and spread the word on how they can support their own young people. Of course, sharing the link to this and other episodes with friends on social media or WhatsApp is always very much appreciated. There'll be another episode next week, so please don't forget to subscribe to the Study Sessions podcast.